Hey everybody, it's Luke here. Um, you're on the Moments Podcast. Um, thanks ever so much for joining us again and listening in. We've got a special treat for you this time. Um, so this one is a panel, which is different for me and it's remote. So uh, if I fumble along the way, I apologize in advance, but hopefully that won't be the case. Um, so today the focus is on uh, learning and development. Um, we're thinking about some of the strategies that might be impacted given the current situation um, in COVID and a global pandemic. Uh, but we're also thinking about what does the future look like, regardless of that. Um, so we've got three people on today. We've got Adam, Alice and Danny. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of their story uh, and then we can jump straight in. So um, Adam, Adam Harwood is um, Head of Learning and Development at D&D London. Um, we'll link it in the blog so that you can get a sense of what the companies are and the people's profiles too. Um, Adam's uh, an experienced L&D professional. Uh, he's worked in a variety of different organisations. Um, my wife would be a big fan of ASOS. Uh, but there's also been the likes of uh, Revolut in there too. Um, and now today he's at uh, D&D London, um, which is a fine dining hospitality group. So hopefully he gets a few nice dinners out of it too. Um, hi Adam, I don't know if you just want to say a quick hello and if you've got anything to add to that. Hey Luke, yes, I can confirm I get some nice dinners out of that. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, and I'm pleased. Um, next up we've got um, Alice, uh, Alice Collier-Niblett. Uh, digital learning specialist from Monzo. Um, we know Monzo quite well. We've had Tara on the podcast and she's done a, a guest blog for us recently. Um, Alice has got responsibility there for L&D. Um, from everything that I can glean from your online profile, it's a pretty modern view of um, L&D too, which is amazing. Uh, and I'm sure in your role at Monzo, there's lots of fun stuff uh, as you've been through a massive period of growth. Um, uh, Alice was previously at ASOS, um, now obviously at Monzo, um, and a, uh, a member of the team leading the way. Um, some of the things that are uh, aspirational in her world are being data-driven, performance-focused, and agile. And then last up, we've got Danny, uh, Danny Seals, who's Director of Experience and Design at GP Strategies. Uh, Danny's a experience architect, um, and I love this world. He's been a leader in his field. I think earlier on in your career, you were at uh, Talk Talk uh, and GB Strategies, amongst others. Um, there's some other interesting things. I don't know if you want to um, share your podcast around MindChimp and some of the other things that you're working on too, uh, Danny. Yeah. Cheers, Luke. Um, so MindChimp podcast. I've had um, I've had Alice and Adam on there. So Alice, I don't think your episode is out yet, but it's coming soon. Um, and I've just launched a little bit of a side gig called Vendela with a double N which is kind of, basically it's how if Trustpilot and Airbnb got together and had a love child, Vendorly would be it for, for the learning space. <laughs> cool. Um, so L&D in my mind has changed quite a bit. And I, I wanted to start off just with a sense of anyone that's listening to this to get us in the zone. Um, like what do we think, what should people be thinking about when we talk about L&D, uh, the jobs to be done and how people like you in modern organizations can support them um, specifically as we're going through a period of substantial change and it's quite hard um, people don't have all the answers in this kind of moment of time everything's new nobody's got a playbook for a global pandemic um, and everybody has a really significant requirement to learn at the moment so maybe Adam we can start off with you just giving a perspective of where we are how people should think about it uh, in no today's worries. world yeah um... I honestly think that around this sort of period right now, there'll be like greater scrutiny on L&D to deliver more than ever, you know, um, and every department will be looked at in understanding what the value they're adding. But I think that the pivot that L&D need to make is one that focuses on performance outcomes rather than learning outcomes and more on output than activity. Because a lot of L&D, and they probably still do to a certain extent, focus on the wrong things so training hours bums on seats how many views on an e-learning module feedback forms and i think to be relevant in the modern world and in l d is to focus on data and understanding business metrics and user insights to understand then what are the real problems you're facing you and you can deal with and once you know what they are i think that you can then experiment and work out what you're trying to influence and see what's the quickest and most efficient way you can fill that hole in the bucket. And it doesn't always have to be programs. I think there is this obsession with running big 
programs like workshops, courses, etc., that take months to create. Uh, that no one no one gets engaged um, through them, and that not you don't engage your users. So basically, they're just L and D off in a lab somewhere creating something, hoping it works. Then after a few months, they put it out to people and realize it's not making any difference. It's about how can you fill that gap quickly, efficiently, and then iterate on it from there. And that comes through through understanding like the data that exists and the problems, but also speaking to your people as well. And for me personally, in you know the last few roles I've had, like at D&D, Revolut and ASOS, it's come from working and experimenting with resources over courses. Um, and for me, that's always been less costly, less risky and lighter in its delivery. So ideally, I think that that's what people should take away is that like, think about what you're going after, what you're trying to achieve. And it isn't, it shouldn't just be bums on seats, training hours. It should be more about you trying to move the dial forward on a real biz, business metric. So for example, you could, could argue like one that I've looked at before at ASOS, we had a lot of people failing their probation period. So we're okay, right. That's a real metric we can get behind. Now what's the ways we can um, do something, um, put something in place, an experiment that means they're supported sufficiently and less of them fail their probation. But we didn't just go straight for the, oh, we're going to redesign our induction or we're going to do a whole big program again. Yeah, indeed. The one that sticks out for me in that is your, your strap line of resources, not cause or resource, not cause, <laughs> or that something to that effect was an interesting one. Um, and uh, Alice, how about in your world, um, both, both in the way that you perceive it, and I know Monzo's got quite an interesting kind of operating model in the way that it works. Uh, from people perspective anyway so um yeah your your views on the question if you don't mind yeah i think like i mirror a lot of what um adam was saying and i think there's an element of kind of being more reactive to the challenges that we have um and also in terms of the sort of data as well because i think as an organization we're really data driven um so being able to kind of stand up in front of the business and say this is the the stuff that we've been working on and this is why and this is the impact that we're having so it's just being able to ask those questions up front if before you even start working on something it's understanding how it's going to be driving that business forward and how you can kind of show your impact and and i think Previously, we've sort of looked at that with a bit of fear, really, and just think, oh, it's, it's too complicated and there's no way that we can really show that we're having an impact. But I think if you if you ask those questions from the start, then you really are aware of what it is that you're trying to change with this training. And then you're going to be able to have a metric to go back and share. Um, I think there's also a bit of a split as well for me between um, you've got this sort of element of performance support so that's all the things that we're talking about right now and the things that adam was saying so we've got like this is the stuff that the real challenges that people were having and our learners are telling us that so that's how we can kind of like prioritize what we're working on and make sure that we're addressing those real challenges and those blockers but then i think you've got an uh, uh, what's happened for me is that what's there's another side to it which is more your professional development and at Monzo I think it's it's everyone is quite driven and everyone wants to develop themselves and and to do that anyway and I think you, I can see like a real split between where we can focus our energy on this uh, you know performance support side of things and help drive that business forward but also how are we supporting people to develop themselves professionally and kind of signpost them to the best resources and like the best solutions to help them to develop and then I think you can kind of even gather data from from that on the flip side where are people focusing their energy on what are people looking at to try and develop themselves on and, and, and realize the trends in that to help us to shape our offer so I think both of them use data um, so we need to be understanding that and be responsive to that but I think in a different way and I'm really starting to see it become two separate separate things yeah th there's a big part in my mind which is um, like as a human what do you need to know and learn to have a well-rounded perspective which informs your views of life and work in my head mm -hmm. which is um your your linkedin caught me today uh, when i was doing some research ahead of this which is the future belongs to the curious and yeah. it kind of made me question how a modern a modern learning environment as a key kind of uh work in my mind or your employer your workplace has such a key influence on how you think about uh platforms to do stuff whether it's earn stuff or achieve life things or learn stuff how do you how do you enable the curious 
was kind of one of the things in my head. And um, Danny, maybe you're going to get this question, which is around um, how we think about um, this curiosity driving self-development and the role in which your workplace can provide in fulfilling some of that curiosity. Um, cool. Okay. So I think, I think just kind of building on what, what Alice was saying as well. So, you know, the, the first part of the question was around the job to be done by L&D. And I think the first thing is to realize is actually what is the job to be done and define yeah. what that is. Cause we, we need to know what it is and what we shouldn't be doing. Because I think there's a lot of focus on, on L&D doing lots of downstream doing and we get so busy doing all this downstream stuff, we, we forget that we can fix the problem upstream before it ever becomes a problem. So I think there's a, there's a focus on that, but kind of going back to the curiosity, like loads of companies have done this really well and I think L&D take it upon themselves to go, we're, we're going to tell you how to, how to like, be really curious and the reality of it is, is before we ever get to any skill gap, there's a curiosity gap what we need to fix first. Because mm -hmm. we get told to be curious throughout school, and then we get told we need to stop asking why, and we need to stop asking it a lot because it becomes a little bit annoying. But the reality of it is, is GoPro, Google, whoever, they all give a large percent of their time, their development time, for people to go and do whatever they want. Right? Like L&D doesn't say, you've got to be curious, but you've got to do it in this confined box. Yeah. So what GoPro will do is they give, I think it's like 5% or 10% of their time, their employers to go and learn a new skill, what they're passionate about, right? Like the reality is, is we can't tell people what they're passionate about. We're curious about the things, what we care about. That tends to be the thing or what triggers that emotion of, oh, what, what's over there? So let our people go and do that. Like, let's not put brakes on them. If someone wants to go and learn around, you know, if I mean, if I do IT, and yet I want to learn how to do media. I'm sure there's someone in the business who can do media. Here's a percentage of the time. Go and sit with Bob who does media, who does, who does infographics or who does videos. Like, we don't have to control it. Like, LD doesn't have to control it. You just have to be aware because that's where this cross-skilling happens. And actually, you know, you're working on this, which would benefit me and my project. How about we work together? It's, yeah, and in my head, there's a kind of a big consideration between enablement versus doing it. Yeah. And the, the, the I imagine the challenging position in which L&D is in is most of like the HR operating models now have moved to like a business partnering structure, uh, a line manager first way of operating within an organization in which most of the traditional HR tasks of hiring people, firing people, managing performance conversations have all been transitioned within the organization. So the clarity over the role in what do you exist for here um, is quite a big, like, is it the manager's job to help someone learn or does that sit centrally? Like, how does it all fit together? Um, and then also like what you were saying in terms of someone's motivation and engagement levels, if L&D could be a huge source of engagement if somebody is curious and uh, wanting to self-develop. And in my mind, there's an organizational problem around how we think about individual and personal experiences in the workplace and what does someone want out of your organization? Because it might just be to learn as much as they possibly can do. Luke, I think, um, I mean, me, Alice and Danny, are all, we're all of the opinion. I think we all agree that the closer you get to the point of work you have a greater chance of influence and what i mean by that is like people are already learning with or without learning and development so you know they're yeah. googling their way through life they're looking for answers their questions on google they're watching videos everything like that and they're doing that every day and like every week you know they're doing that stuff but l and d aren't there they focus on the part where you know they focus a lot on classroom and that is yeah. You know, when was the last time any of us went to a classroom session? You know, and we're, we're not where our learners are. And I think that, that if we can get closer to that, where they are, then we have more chance of influencing them. You know, if I if you had a challenge, Luke, and I said, I can solve that, but I can solve that three months from now when you come to a workshop, you'd go, sod that. I'm going to go on Google and search for it. Yeah. And that's the kind of challenge that L&D need to meet head on uh, is a acknowledging that their people are doing this with or without them. And then B, how can they be where their people are, essentially. 
Yeah, in my head, it's there's a big thing around like structured versus unstructured learning. It's like you don't know you need to learn something until you know you need, you need to learn something. Yeah. And at that point, you want it like right now and you don't want it. So I was really fortunate to be a part of um, WorldPay, which at the time I was there as a big FTSE 100 business and um, went through their management training, their leadership training. And, and the thing that I found I got most value from was around self-insight and understand, and building self-awareness and understanding about what I needed to learn. And that became the event for my education activities, um, which in that format, structured learning seems to make a huge amount of sense because it's built up over time. But it's more the unstructured stuff when you're in that zone of I need to know something like right now from I don't know how does this formula work on Excel to how do I have this really difficult difficult performance conversation to all of those things that you can't predetermine or design for the event that drives the activity in my head there's this structured versus unstructured um, consideration um go on, sorry go on Danny I think you touched on a really good point there Luke and I think it's important to know that L&D is a service, right? We're here to serve our people. If we don't know what our people want, then we're not really going to be serving them very well. But yeah. the reality of it is, is we have only one action in a string of actions, what that person goes through from the start of the day right to the end. So, you know, we, we can't be expected to be that one point of knowledge. I could, I could get into a lift with you now, Luke, and we could have a conversation, and that could be my learning moment. Like, yeah. you know, L&D doesn't need to do that. We are one action in a string of many. And yeah. I think it's understanding by getting super obsessed with our people, that's the only way we're going to be able to start serving them better. Okay, yeah. right. I mean, I think there's a, there's a thing as well about like bringing yourself into that flow. So making, if you've got these resources or you've got things out there that are available to people, how are you making them accessible? Like at the time of need, because they're going to be having these moments throughout their day where they, they've got a challenge or they've got a question and they, they need to be able to get to it in the fastest way possible. So how are we as, as a team enabling that? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a question that I have around like something by which you can quite easily structure for, which is onboarding and how you think about um, both creating a really, like you know that it exists, you know someone's joining. At the moment it's remote, so it's probably a little bit harder but you know it's probably going to be quite a vulnerable moment if you consider an employee's kind of emotional perspective throughout their entire career with you. And it's one in which you can add a load of value to, I imagine. Mm -hmm. um, so Alice, maybe give me a sense of how you think you can create when something is known, like a day of onboarding, how does L&D really set the bar for the experience expectation that somebody can have with the organization? And hopefully it being a positive one. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully um i think it, it comes back to what you were saying um just now luke about harnessing that people are nervous and um so i think you have like a world of emotions going on when you first join a company so you're like super excited to be there um you want to get going but you're also really nervous um yeah. and you know you've got this big first day happening and so i think we just need we need to first of all understand that and understand from that that person's perspective what what worries do they have and what blockers are they coming up against um so you have to start off with that data so you have to understand um you have to speak to recent new starters and you have to say to them you know from the day that you accepted that role what were the questions or the challenges that you had all the way up to you can go all the way up to the end of their three month probation if you like and i think once you have that information um from the people that know then you can create a really great experience around that so um it's kind of like creating that journey so you can start to pull together things and it can be as simple as like what do I wear on my first day or what do I need to bring with me on my first day um, and it could be like who do I need to meet in my first week or how do I prepare for my end of three month probation so it's like recognizing the moments when this happens so you can kind of slot that information in when that challenge will come up um, and then once as I said once you have that you can create a really great experience and even though I think it's interesting that you say now that we're remote um you know that brings about its own challenges and it definitely brings about challenges but i think for me it made it um a bit easier um because where some organizations still have this challenge in shifting your mindset from all onboarding has to be crammed into day one so you come into an organization it's like yeah. 
right day one we've got to tell you absolutely everything and you're going to remember it and you're going to like that's it you're off you're going to fly um but i think what was great about when um covid hit was that it was like no okay we need to change things because we don't have that face-to-face experience anymore so it was like a booster so it enabled me to say okay well we've got all this data so now let's create that experience using digital um so it's like you know it doesn't mean taking away face-to-face completely because you know what what we've done is um we've created some hangouts with some really influential people but what this has enabled us to do is set you up with a hangout with our ceo so you have that like face-to-face time with somebody that you probably wouldn't have had um and so with those really influential people and then we're building around that like this is how you can get started with your technology um so it's just understanding about the challenges people are having right now and i think it's you you can't just kind of create an experience for onboarding and leave it there so you know especially with the situation we're in right now this is going to come this is going to bring about lots of different um challenges that we wouldn't have if we were just onboarding normally so it's like i'm a new starter coming into an organization i've never even set foot in the door um i'm not going to be walking around in the in the corridor and be meeting people and be able to have those kind of you know ad hoc conversations so we need to understand how this has changed that experience too and kind of help ease those um, blockers as well so it's it's about being adaptive as well and, and constantly understanding you know what's different about the business what's different about the world right now and how is that impacting the kind of support that you need as a new starter when you join yeah interesting and adam have you got anything anything to add i think you know she's uh, perfectly summed it up really I, I completely agree with that and i endorse that and um i think you know to the point of it's letting the tech do the heavy lifting here you know and i think also if you're using if you're driving this through digital then you don't have that temptation of trying to throw everything into one day because that's the worst possible thing you can ever do to a new starter is to bring them in on day one and go right we're going to give you every bit of information you need to know no one is ever going to remember that stuff but if you can almost treat it like a campaign and go right well what did what did previous new starters need on week one great let's build that what do they need after week two and what do they need near their probation period it's it's much more staggered and you can automate it and you can then use user insights to figure out what stuff were people engaging with what were they clicking on and work out how you can iterate it to make it better going forward and i just think that that old world of bringing people together in a room and telling them something is so broken and um you know it's something i've seen work really well at you know all the companies have worked at is if you treat induction not as just one event but as a journey as alice said then it's it's a much better path to be on and one of the things in my head um is how, and it comes back to the question right at the start in terms of the role of L&D in the experience, because a lot of the things in which is about orientating yourself around the new organization that you're in is arguably learning, right? So if you went into Bluebird Chelsea as a nice restaurant and <laughs> you, um, you get welcomed into the uh, restaurant, you've probably got somebody that shows you where you're sitting and you've probably got somebody that will come around and make an effort to talk you through the menu. And you've probably got somebody that will talk you through the wine list and you get, you get this sense of, ah, okay, this is cool. This is, I'm becoming um, like used to this. I belong here basically. So, but all of those tasks in a fairly traditional capability led view of learning and development like the the consideration around someone's experience and how you equip them with the information that they have and understand to have a good time within the organization has has that has that sit with has that sat with L&D for a long time i think it's difficult isn't it it's it's a it's our our role in induction is almost a little bit of permission as well showing people uh, what behaviors are are kind of accepted and what behaviors will work well what what are the behaviors that should be rewarded and i think that that's what lnd's role is to support and guide that so people feel more comfortable and confident in what they're doing and to your point about that that bluebird thing it's it's acknowledging that okay you're going to get someone who's going to be like in a role um on week one and as a waiter in their kind of first uh, first job in in hospitality they'll be looking around at how do I act what do I do um, 
what do I, how do I serve that customer? I have all these thoughts, all these moments of anxiety. And a lot of that will be filled by looking at someone else and thinking, oh, that's the right way to do it. But ultimately they want to know what is the way they should do things in the context of their organization. And, you know, between me, Danny and Alice, we've worked in like several different organizations now. And I know for sure that, you know, there's no way that any one of our organizations are the same in terms of contextually what that person should do and how they should behave and how they should act. And you, L&D's job is to really spell that out and show them that this is what, this is how, this is how your company works. This is what we expect. This is what we do. And it's up to them to just fit the pieces together, I reckon. Yeah. And, and that's why for me, the, the remote nature does create quite a lot of change in my head because remote makes it much harder to observe model behaviors. So if you're in an organization, you like, you gain understanding by the way people are interacting with each other or the way the time people leave, the time people go for a lunch break, whether they go together, whether they go on their own, like you're, this is much about like cultural understanding as it is about like, where's the toilet or where's the, where do I get my coffee from that I'm desperate for in the morning and like all of those, but are they, are those, are those in the way in which we imagine the world today, which, you know, people teams or HR teams have, have siloed out responsibility. There's this division of labor work, right? That goes into L and D is now a function that sits here rather than centering it all around this consideration of experience. Danny, I don't know that experience is your world. I don't know if, if, if we reimagined the way that an organization works from start to end, whether you would think about like the capability requirement and the roles that people play and how learning fits into that versus the, like, would we imagine it differently if we started again? in terms of I'd the like role in which LD so. would take. Say again. I would like to think so. So it's interesting. We, we talk about onboarding and, and kind of build on Alice's point, I guess. Like you, we, we need to understand that onboarding and induction, it starts way before onboarding, right? Like one of the clients who I was working with recently says, they start onboarding when with people in college and it, and it all fall, falls within like being EVP and stuff, right? Mm. The reality of it is, is Onboarding, when we use tech, we have to understand that tech is an enabler. It's not the thing, right? Awesome, like yeah. when it comes to virtual, when it comes to like these virtual meetings, the one thing we need to be uber, uber focused about is still keeping that human touch. And there's a risk that by us going, everything needs to be virtual, that we lose it, which, which will be a sad thing. It'll be a sad thing. And I guess... Sometimes it's about when you, when we talk about roles and moving roles, like Disney do something really, really good with um, their, their their front of house. So when you come in, you know, to say um, one of the hotels, it might even be Hilton actually, and they have um, their receptionist is mm-hmm. called um, head of first experiences, and yeah. it's just a nice tweak to the job because you look at the job very differently. Then you go from being a receptionist and very potentially transactional to you going, actually, my job is to create a great first experience. Yeah. Now, we, we need to understand that people who are coming on to these businesses, you know, they're savvy people, right? They'll use Glassdoor, they'll use, they'll, they'll have people who's worked at, at your place beforehand, they'll have reached out to them. And for me, a good onboarding starts in the pre-boarding phase, not onboarding. Yeah, when it's you've nailed this perfectly scripted way in which someone's going to do day one and do day two and do day three, and then you'll have a check in on day five and so on. And the reality is that they've consumed all of this knowledge and understanding about the organization from Glassdoor or connecting with their new boss and their new colleagues on LinkedIn and seeing who's re- like and what content's being shared. And all of this stuff is consumed before um, the first um, the first interaction. I think Sorry, Alice. I think that's the thing around with, with, especially thinking about onboarding induction, it's about harnessing the energy of that organization. And that can be quite a challenge. I mean, you know, and it, it, that can come through loads of different elements of the onboarding as well, not just that kind of the thing that that's journey that we're talking about. But one of the things I've been thinking about recently is mandatory training. And obviously being part of a bank, compliance training is you know it has to be done everyone has to know when you come into an organization but how do you make that feel like monzo how and and not just make it the same experience when you join any other bank and i think um our job as lnd is to to think about how you how you do that how you harness that energy and those types of things that you're creating Mm. um 
and and it's it's a really interesting project and I, I think it's you know I think it's very easy to, with mantra changes to go buy stuff off the shelf but it's like how are you actually you know how are you building this and how are you consulting with the right teams but making sure that when someone sits and has to go through these mandatory training that it, it feels like Monzo and they're kind of like this is a great introduction I know why I've got to do the right thing but I've enjoyed doing it and so and, it's just kind of thinking about that and your point of it feels like Monzo for me is is when like brand and values really come to life and, and in my mind, like any form of education program that would be attempted around values, there's so many more opportunities to show it before you need to tell it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's how do you how do you think about some of those opportunities? Danny, did you have something to say before I jump on to the next question? Or Adam, did you have anything yeah. more to add? I think it's for me, it's about leading with empathy as well. Like for me, I, I call it the little big things. What matter? Right. You know, I think, Alice, you touched on this a little bit earlier. You know, what do I wear for day one? Who do I meet? Who's the first person I meet? Where do I park? It's them little big things. What to a business might think it's a tiny thing, but to somebody else, that's driving anxiety. Mm. So for me, it's about leading with empathy and understanding and, and, and caring about your people singular, but as a collective as well, of the people who are going through it. As soon as you look at that from two different angles of person on their own and as a cohort, you'll start looking at the experience very differently. And, it, and, you know, naturally you'll start creating different experiences, what fit within that. Yeah, indeed. It's all about optics, right? Who's, whose lens are you seeing the organisation through? Um, Adam, did you have anything more to add to that last bit? No, I think you're right. That I think, Luke, your point about, like, role modelling is tougher when you're, you know, driving something through digital. I, I think it's about two of the points that Danny and Alice have both brought up is you've got to bring out the subtleties of an organization, like all of the kind of foibles that are, of the way that an organization works. You've got to work harder to demonstrate that through, um, you know, whether it be online, whether it be digital. And because yeah. obviously you're not going to get your water cooler moments where you're walking past someone and they chat to you in a certain way and you kind of get a feel for the organization. You've got to try and transmit, like Alice said, the energy and all of that through digital. But because I think that that is the way the world is going, you know, I think it's, You've got like, you know, organizations now like Twitter and Square that are just going to work remotely completely. So, you yeah. know, that's, that rules out classroom training for them completely, you know, unless they do like full on virtual sessions, which I wouldn't subscribe to. But I think yeah. That yeah. Their, their whole world has changed now. Um, but I think you've got to try and work harder to get the bring out the kind of essence of an organization and the culture through through digital, you know. And I think you can do that. You can do that through just like drawing out the right um drawing out the right people you know the right insights the right know-how and um because people know all that stuff and if you almost you get people in a room and put the spotlight on them and say hey guys look what's it like to work here they they will naturally um you know talk about the stuff that you you know the little little what did, what did danny call it the small big wins i think yeah, I the really little big it. things the little, little big, big things, things. <laughs> exactly those things they will bring them out i think you know they're yeah, not completely talk about the big things and and i think i'm gonna i'm gonna reference two of the things that have been said in uh, one thing that you said there and one thing that danny said which is around um the role of technology and the role of relationships so in my head what when when you're just talking there adam about like the interaction and how much understanding you get from people. Um, and then Danny, what you said around technology is um, the enabler and not the answer. It'd be really interesting for, for, for us to get a sense of maybe Alice will start with you in terms of like what, how can technology help connect and build relationships between new starters and the environment in which they are entering? Um, yeah, so I think like, you know, the obvious ones are, in reference to what we were saying earlier is organizing connections with other people so it's like how can we get people on hangouts with other influential people in the business and i yeah. think that there's something to be said about that as well because in the environment that we are in we're having zoom meetings with people and we're kind of getting an insight into their homes so it's like you're letting someone into like your personal space yeah, um, indeed. and i think that kind of helps to build build relationships because I think that you know you're kind of you're in their space you're able to talk about different things and um yeah i think it kind of helps you to forge those relationships so i think that is a bit of a, a bit of a benefit but yeah it is hard when you've not got those kind of water cooler conversations but i think it's about being more 
more hands-on with that stuff and you know when if we go back to new starters it's like they don't know the people to speak to so how are we equipping managers to think about who are you putting them in touch with and make sure that's set up for them otherwise they're never going to have the opportunity to reach out to people um but it's not just like zoom and and in other kind of well-known um hangout (laughs) (laughs) there are other available (laughs) video conferencing (laughs) services yeah thanks for that um you know there's also things like um, we use a platform called Slack, which um, is an internal chat platform. And, um, you know, it's, you, if you think about what, what would happen if that new starter was in person in the building, they would probably meet people and start talking about their common interests and things that they're interested in. So, um, you know, an internal chat platform like that, you can be like, oh, you should join this channel um, and you can talk about how you're really into board games or, um, you know, the latest episode of, um, the last dance or whatever it is that you've been watching. And um, so I think if you're, it's just about helping put people in the right place um, so that they can start to build those relationships. And, and another thing um, as well that we, we've been exploring is, um, it's, I did, it's a bit of like a one-to-one, like random generator. So um, you can just like randomly um, find someone in the business to have a chat with. And I mean, it can be a little bit awkward, but I think it's really useful because you might not ever speak to someone over in risk or over in the, the lending team or whatever it is. So it's yeah. helping to put you into contact with people that you wouldn't necessarily speak to. Um, because it's very easy for you to kind of end up in your, your own little world when you're working from home. Um, so it's, I think when it's come back to what is the function of the L and D team, I think there is an element of us like encouraging people to build those relationships and encourage knowledge share because we, that's really important. We need to get people talking to each other and um, inspiring other people. And that's not going to happen if those relationships aren't built. So it is partly our responsibility to help generate those relationships and bring people together. Yeah, fascinating view. And Danny, have you got anything to add to that? Yeah, so I think I think the first thing, right, is selecting the right tech. Like the first thing is getting the tech right. Because, you know, there's lots and lots of times and, and especially some of the work I'm doing at the moment is going into companies and going, wow, you pick, you got yourself into this contract with this tech platform and it's just not serving you, your people and what you need to do. So I think there's a bit about selection. Um, but I seem to say this quite a lot, but fish where the fish live. Like, you know, with previous employees and clients, I've used technology that isn't alien to them. Like I talk about using consumer grade tech. So in the past I've used WhatsApp, I've used Instagram, I've used Snapchat for pre-boarding and onboarding and whatever else. And it, it helps remove anxiety. So before we even, even if I'm onboarding, for example, before day one, I have people who are already in a WhatsApp group, we already know each other, we're already talking about what we're doing at weekends. It's removing all the anxiety, we're sharing what we're up to. And what it means is by the time day one does come round, I can have a much leaner day one and a better experience. Sometimes it's as simple as you, you know, no one's ever taught you how to use Instagram. You figured it out. You've gone on it. You figured it out. And it's about using the right tech for the right problem, but trying to reduce that load of having to figure out how to use a tech before I can use it. So I think, yeah, that's probably my build on that really. That's a huge pain point, Danny. Like I've, I've been in roles before where I've had to teach the business how to use the LMS like and it, what, what a waste of time <laughs> so i think you're so right and that the tech that you use needs to be you know easy for the for the user to to get used to it it's not over complicated it feels and it it feels like the stuff that we're used to using every day um and that's what got me really excited about using using tech and learning it's it's that common sense approach of thinking how do people behave and learn every day and how can we replicate that in the way that we learn in business yeah it's interesting adam anything more yeah i I, yeah i think that like this is a moment of truth for l d because what what we're used to is when it comes to new starters we're talking specifically about new starters l d sometimes like to feel that they are the all-seeing all-knowing like knowledge hub when like alice's point and luke like you said earlier it's a it's that knowledge is existing in your organization already. That know-how and that insight is already out there. And the moment you start kind of pulling on those resources and pulling on that expertise, you'll see that L&D doesn't need to be at the front of the stage. 
they could be backstage and they can just be connecting you up with the people that know all this stuff. And that's really important because I think that's, for me, LED people might not like to hear that because their bread and butter is I'm at the front. I've got all the knowledge. No, 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 no. People have already got that. People have already been new starters in your organization before. They've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. If you can put the camera in front of them, get them doing a short video about their experience, their stories, then that is much more meaningful and valuable than someone at the front of LD talking about, you know, where the toilets are, <laughs> for example. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. And it probably plays to my next question, which is around, like, as we do carry on working remotely, and we're kind of more settled and this is a bit more normal and Adam, maybe less so in, in, in your world in terms of the operation, but certainly mm. in terms of Monzo, I guess, can work and operate largely remotely. Um, and it would just be really useful to get a sense of what you think of the, the role of L&D in a remote environment and how important L&D is in that remote environment. It's going to be really interesting. And I think I'm, you know, curious to explore this one with you guys, really, because I, I thought about this question and I think that it's now more important than ever that L&D kind of rises to that challenge and takes on the new normal because it's uncertain. And I think that you need to, in uncertain times, you need leadership and, you know, L&D need to show leadership in, in, this, in this moment in time. And I think that what's really interesting is if we go remote and more companies go remote, like I've already mentioned and referenced Twitter and Square, you know, they're telling their workers they can stay at home forever. You've removed the classroom and that is the most traditional, most frequently used mode of delivery. And, you know, for anyone in L&D, this phrase uh, might mean something, which is if you all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And it's going to be really a testing time for people in terms of those people that are usually used to doing delivery through classroom what uh, they should pause for a second and think okay how are we going to approach this are we going to take our induction put it into our powerpoint and then present it through a webinar are we going to take our four-day management development program and present it on zoom and i'm thinking don't do that you know pause for a second and you know think about the world you're going to come back to or the world we're in right now we're going to have to do more with less there's going to be more pressure to deliver and i think we really need to then you know step back and go back to what i said right at the start which is take time to understand where the business priorities are and then focus on them and then understand what the problems challenges and friction points are your people have at work and then find the most efficient way to experiment working on those priorities because i think that there is so much temptation so much to be 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 able to just go right we're gonna we're gonna change all of our um face-to-face -face stuff and put it virtual it's like no 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 just don't do that straight away pause for a second and just to the point about you know remote what's that going to look like i saw the um the buffer uh, report on the state of remote working which is like the largest report on that that topic i think it was done pre-covid but they talked about uh, what's the biggest struggle people have with working remotely and collaboration communication loneliness and staying motivated were kind of high up on the list and i think that that is a new ball game for L&D and uh, we have to show people what that world looks like and contextualize what does performance look like now we're in this remote world and that is going to bring out new ways of working new behaviors all those sort of things and I think again L&D can take the lead in that space but if for example we go back to a little bit of normality and they go cool we've got a communication training session or a time management it's like no 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 look these are new things that are happening for your people for the very first time so i think it's like where we have an opportunity to really take the ball by the horns here and you know tackle uh, an issue that's never been disrupted this heavily as before so and uh, maybe linked to this point and um this this might be a tough one Danny is coming at you <laughs> prepare yourself um is I, I think what you're saying is it's super important and there's an absolute fundamental need for it but that a lot of it is new so Danny how do you get on the front foot in the world of L&D when you're going through it at the same time and speed as everybody else is so I think I'm going to go proper old school with this one Luke and, and kind of pull out storming norming performing so so i think what we've seen with this kind of covid you know originally it's period of change right and change is uncertain i think people like change they just don't like the transition and i think 
what what we're seeing now is originally we seen we and look at the trends on LinkedIn. We see in originally people was like storming, I don't want to work from home, I can't work from home, it's it's quite stressful, whatever, whatever, whatever. And slowly we've started to see this normalize normalize out a little bit now. And slowly but surely we're starting to see people, the same people who was who was struggling and now starting to perform better at working from home, they've managed to get the stuff in order, they've managed to figure this out. And I think going back to your question about how do we stay ahead? And I wrote I wrote a post and an article about this a couple of weeks ago. I said, fundamentally, it all depends on how well your L&D set up this when, this when this happened. You're going to have two camps of L&D. You're going to have a reactive camp and you're going to have a proactive account. So the reactive account, the reactive camp was the ones who went, oh my days, everything's got to be turned into digital content. So we've got to convert everything into IPDS and we've got to do this and we've got to do that. And then somewhere down the line, someone would probably suggest a MOOC. And then somewhere else, somebody, and then they'll go for a period where they'll go, oh, this didn't work. And they find themselves in this loop. And while that old camp has been doing the standard approach, the proactive camp has gone out and they've done like what I kind of alighted to as first responder, right? They've gone out, they've looked around and fixed what the bleed, the people who are bleeding out have fixed. What did you need? What do you need? How can I make this easy for you? And then after they've done that, they've assessed and gone, right, at some point this change is going to happen where we're going to potentially go back to work. And the yeah. proactive people have gone out, used quantitative and qualitative data, had interviews with the people, right? What is it you're, you care about? What's your behaviors? What's your mindsets about returning to work? What is it you think you're going to need returning to work? And by that time, they started building up this approach and, and the resources and the stuff, what they need. So when, when we do go back to work in whatever form that looks like, our, our proactive L&D is so ahead of the curve that we're starting to serve our people a lot better. Because we've already kind of pre, we've already been ahead of, of when we do come back to work. So I think, you know, it, it depends on, on if you was reactive or if you was proactive and went, actually, this is a great opportunity. And, I, and again, I kind of got kicked around a bit on LinkedIn when I said this as an opportunity. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not great, but lots of mini experiments right now will serve you so, so well when we go back to work. So I think, I think the, um, the phrase never, never waste a good crisis comes to mind, Danny, there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think, can I, can I build on what Danny said? I, I think you're right. And Luke, to your point, it's like, and I think that's a really, really solid point, which is how do you get on the front foot? I think, you know, this is something that Alice, is, Alice endorses as well, is that you're never, you know, you don't have to build it all. It doesn't have to be perfect. You can iterate on something now uh, and then kind of build it over time and just ensure it's just, helping if it's helping a little bit that's great and then you can work out how can you help even more how can you make it even more useful i think again in an idea there's an obsession where we go off for hours or months or whatever and create something and then go here you go here's what we've done it's like no step by step keep speaking to your people have dialogue over delivery keep it open keep that circle open where you're discussing with people what what this is look like how can it be more helpful and then you'll, like Danny said, you'll end up with something that is much closer to being useful than if you stayed in this circle of putting PowerPoints into Zoom calls, for example. So, so, so a thought then that kind of, so one of, one of the frameworks of thinking that this is making me question is if it is an opportunity and there's a reset chance, um, the framework that springs to mind is this kind of single loop fix versus root cause analysis and fixing the root problem. Um, the, the stat that stands out whenever I think about L&D is the retention of knowledge X many number of weeks after a classroom training course is something like 8%. So the basis and the format by which we're educating people fundamentally doesn't work. So digitizing the broken format feels like we're just on a hiding to marginal loss of <laughs> retained knowledge um, of some description so like how how do we think that people should be in a position where this is this is used as a proper reset to think about the problems and the challenges and how do people get brave enough to do that and Alice I'm going to go to you because I know Monzo's probably in a camp in which they're quite able to do this but coming from a point in which Danny mentions which is one of agility because of the structure and the net at like the the operating model and the team structures by which I understand from the conversation only from the conversations that I've had 
but it would appear you are agile and you think about it from a design thinking and data driven approach. So how do you, how do you use this as a proper reset rather than like a, a marginal one? Mm. Yeah. Um, so I think, first of all, I think what you were, what you were saying there about the classroom session only being 8% effective, like that's, I'm so happy that you said that. And I think if Bob Musher was here, he'd be like jumping for joy as well. Cause that's one of the things that he talks about a lot. And um, just thinking about that, like that moment of need. So when you're, if we're gonna put a classroom session together, that's an opportunity for people to come in and learn something new, but then how are you supporting people post that session with resources when they actually experience that moment three months later? Um, so I think that's the way that we'll be able to kind of improve on that, on that statistic. I think in terms of actually making a real change, as you say, I am really lucky to be where, where I am and that it is, it is a curious um, organisation and I'm kind of able to sort of stand up and say, this isn't working, let's try and do something different. And I think from my experience, the best way to show people and get people on board with you is to start with, um, start with kind of your small wins. So don't think that you can kind of come in and change everything at once like that's not that's not going to happen but for me it's like it's picking the things in the organization that you can have an impact on um, and then kind of introduce you know this is a new way that we could do this this is some kind of design principles that we can follow um, and this is how we can be effective and always remember that data is your friend as well so you can then come back to people and say this is why doing this is different so it's like having having a direct comparison to like you know, we did it this way. It didn't have the impact we want, but we've tried to do it a new way. And here's the data. And I think being in an organisation like Monzo, you you couldn't just you couldn't just stand up in front of the business and say, you know, oh, we we thought it was a good idea to work on this, so we're gonna we 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 did it, um, and we think it worked because you all told us you enjoyed it. Like that's never it's never gonna land. So, you know, I think we would have to stand up and say, we identified this challenge in the business. We built this. Um, and this is the data to show we had the impact. And I think the difference, the real difference for me coming into the business was I hadn't, I hadn't worked for um, a, a tech company like this or a fintech company, shall I say. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that brings about it different ways of working. So now I'm kind of mirroring um, working with an engineering mindset. So, you know, they will identify things like the, the users will be like, you know, we're not happy with something. So they'll identify that and then they'll work in sprints to try and make um, a solution to it. And then as we were saying, you'll iterate it once that sprint is done. But so I think it was using that similar language for me. So going in and saying that we'll try and mirror that way of working in L&D. So this is a challenge. You know, we'll run a, a one or two week sprint um, getting the right team together as well. Because I think with, you know, one of the things I love about Monzo is you know, if, if there's a project, they'll pull the right people from the business into that squad. So it's like, let's get the right squad together. Let's make sure we've got the right expertise there and we'll run that sprint and we'll get that, that, um, that solution up and running um, and being inter iterative. So I think it's just being able to have, have that kind of mindset. And um, I don't think that's very commonly done in l and I think it's, this is quite a new thing. So I think being able to sort of bring that in and speak in the same language as other people and present our findings with data is the way that we can have that impact. Cool. A anything to add? If not, I've got a follow-up question from Danny or Adam. So, so he, like, here's a thought, um, and this is on my feet, so I apologize if it's not particularly well formed, which is um, if we know that we've got like a retention of knowledge problem in which there's the knowledge is, given but forgotten so 92% gets forgotten and what we're saying we actually need is like the timely application of knowledge how, how do you think about timeliness driving an event in which you might resurface the knowledge that you're giving to people so if a classroom training session of an, of an hour covers five themes I don't know maybe and you only remember one of those themes off the back of it or ten themes so my maths work um, so there's 10 themes that you cover in an hour and you only remember one of them, but you've still taught that other nine, those are the nine things, but people don't know that they need that knowledge until they need it. 
how do you like bite size those components such that when people are in a position where it feels timely, they can uh, consume that knowledge and directly apply in the time of need? I think, Sorry, I think yeah, I think uh, Luke, something I mentioned right at the start and you, you kind of, I think you may have noted it down. It's, I think this is all about resources. I think that it's, you know, think about how we, we use technology now, the way we kind of go on Google, we find what we need and we kind of, we scroll until we find it. And what we're looking for is questions, the answer, uh, the answers to the questions in front of us. And I think that traditionally what with L and D, the approach has been one of two things, get you in a classroom, pump you full of knowledge, hope you remember, and then go back to your desk, you instantly forget it because you yeah. just, you know, it, the world of work comes in. And then some clever guy thought, do you know what? We need to make this an e-learning module. So they pump, they put all of that knowledge into an e-learning module and they sit at the sit through the, probably the same amount of time and go through it all. And hopefully when it comes to that time of application, they're going to remember it when really e-learning modules don't make that any easier because you might need to remember, like you said, that one thing out of those 10 things that you learned from that thing. And when it comes to time of application. So if resources for me, and if I, you know, if I had to kind of explain what they look like, it's almost unpacking the questions, almost breaking it down in a really logical format for how people would, um, you know, what would they, what questions would they, would come to their mind when they were dealing with a certain situation. And if you can surface the right questions at the right time, then that will um, be quick and easy for people to grab and go. Because if you don't, and I think um, Alice mentioned Bob Mosher earlier on, and something he, he, he references is, 10 seconds, I think it's 10 seconds and two clicks. If your people can't find what you're looking, what you're trying to serve up, but it, it, within 10 seconds and two clicks, you've lost them and you've probably lost them to Google. So it's about how do you surface this stuff in a way that's like unpacked and in an order that's really easy for and contextualized in a way that people can be familiar with rather than stuff it, stuffing it in a classroom session or in an e-learning module. I don't know if that answers your question, Luke, but, but I think yeah, it's no, about I, unpacking I, it. I think, I, think it, I think it does in the sense that probably all of the knowledge requirement is there and thought about and considered in the, way, in the format by which it's been developed. But I think there's a link to something that someone said, and I can't remember who it was earlier, about like the tools driving the approach which is, in my mind, the problem that e-learning was solving, that classroom learning is, is expensive and inefficient for people to travel yeah. to. Therefore, put it online and you're in a position where you reduce cost as the outcome. So the problem yeah. to solve for was reduced expenditure yeah. rather than better ability to perform learning activities, for yeah. example. And I think that if you acknowledge that most people just want to want to do their job better and faster, they don't care about L&D, they want to come to work, do their job, get what they need. If they are having to stop work, go to a course, stop work to go through a whole e-learning module, you have already lost them. So you need to be like super, super aware of that. And if you are, then you're creating stuff in a way that means people can grab, go on demand when they need it. So they don't have to stop work to get that stuff that you're serving up. Then yeah. I think that's, that's the way to do it for sure. Yeah, indeed. And Danny, I think you were going to say something at the same time and the, my, my moment of Sorry, facilitation when I didn't point to somebody on a remote call to uh, talk failed. No. So Danny, over to you. I guess it's about understanding the people, right? Like one, if you've took someone in the classroom to learn 10 things and fundamentally whoever did that needs to be sacked anyway. Like you don't, you don't, you wouldn't do that. Right. And I guess. It I happens all the time though, right? You're going to talk about this topic and this topic has, 400 things in a day that you need to learn about yeah and and the thing is is that's why lnd is where it is like for me it's behavior right like so, so luke i don't know if you drive but if your if your light bulb goes in your car what are you going to do I'll probably leave it until my next service and get in loads of trouble from the wife okay no so, I'm, yeah. I'm, joking. I'm joking but it's behavior it's behavior yes. like it, fundamentally if my light bulb goes in my car I'll go, right, I've got two options here. I, well, I've got three. I've got the Luke option where I just leave it. <laughs> yeah. I've, got, I've got the option of, you know, getting some, going to, I don't know, Halfers to fix it. Or I'll go and watch a 30-second YouTube video, learn how to put the light bulb in and get on with life. I don't need to know how a light bulb is made. 
I don't need to know how my headlights made. I just need to know how to fix this problem and get on. And yeah. it's bad behavior. It's that thing of, I've got frustration. I need to fix it quick. How can I do it the quickest way? So building on to Adam's point of, I just want to do my job better. Um, I guess that was kind of just my build on it, really. Like, at the end of the day, you know, it, com- it comes down to what is it you want. Do you come to work to learn and, and, you know, learn about the ins and outs of stuff you'll never, ever apply? Or do I just need to know where to go to find the thing when I need it, as and when I need it? And if we can address, actually, what are the people going to be wanting or needing for this topic, what we put them in the classroom for, we can get actually specific with actually let's just build a load of resources based on these problems. We'll put more time and investment into being able to signpost where to go to find it. Job done. And I think if you make those resources, let's call them based on user insights, then engagement is the least of your worries. They yeah. will come, they will go, they will go to your platform, whatever it is, and they will keep on coming back because they know that you can answer that question quicker, quicker than what they can find on Google. So honestly, I think that's the key here is they will come and visit your platform, your learning management system, if they know it's going to help them do their job better or faster. But the only way you can get to that point, and this is again a big wake up call for L&D, you need to speak to your people. And you need to understand what their, and this is to Alice's point, all their challenges, the questions, all that sort of stuff. If you don't understand that, then you're just putting content in a digital dumping ground where it was not helping anyone because Google is a digital dumping ground anyway. So, you know, I think if you yeah. can, the only way you can beat Google is to wrap up context to the questions that people have in your organizations. The only way you know that is by asking them. So. Yeah, like in in my mind, building products is quite simple. People either use it because it's easy or they use it because they know it's valuable to them and it's a need for them. And and like it's it's amazing how I've used loads of learning management systems in my time and most of them are painful. Like you feel like you're being sat on somewhere that you can't find something to watch a video that takes longer than it needs to get to the point that you actually want to know the answer to. and it feels like there is lots of opportunity to rethink it. I just hope it, hope it comes. Um, so Danny, maybe a question for you just to think about whose like obligation is it to really work on um, supporting people and developing people. There's a, there's a thing that sticks in my head all of the time, whether like is L and D sometimes seen as a pushy parent that's trying to get you to do stuff that perhaps you don't necessarily want to do. Or is it doing it for your interest? And should you have better reflected as the employee about the areas of growth and development that you've got? So maybe just some views and ideas around, you know, whose whose job is it and how do you support people in raising self-awareness and understanding? Yeah, so for me, I think it's it's a job of everybody in that business. You know, while it is, you know, a lot of the time it does fall on L&D and, and sometimes L&D become the order takers for that. I think it's for everybody in the business, right? It's not just for one section of the business. I get I guess for me, there's a risk that this ends up this people going back to work ends up being the last dance for L and D. Like what I would like to see coming in is is new rituals being set up and new patterns being set up. Because, you know, for example, like it'd be great for everyone to come back into work and we create maybe like a bit like a, a COVID stories for a team and it's about how people have reflected on how they've got, how they've become resilient, you know, how they've done stuff at home. Because the reality of it is, is our people didn't stop learning when we said go and work from home. If anything, they've probably done, they've probably done more learning because they've learned how to deal with the situation and, and what's going on around them as well as get work done. Like the difference is, is how people have decided what's important to them and what they should develop on. Like for me, I've done more reading. I've learned a new skill. Like I've also done my, my whole work and I've managed my life at home going on around me. So I think, you know, while L&D sometimes it is the people to kind of focus on the development, our people have their own, they should be focused on their own development. It's not just on L&D to do so. And I think it's on the other, the other functions within the business. That's, that's how I describe it. Yeah, uh, indeed. Uh, if anyone needs a tool, by the way, that captures all of those moments that were really significant um, through COVID, you, you know where to come to. Um, yeah, I, I think it's interesting that it's kind of the whole business's um, 
it's like where's the driving force i guess is sometimes you get those super motivated people that just want to learn and consume everything and anything that they can do sometimes you get those really reflective types that know they've got a gap and they really need to work on it sometimes it's like a big capability problem out of a business unit and sometimes like we talked about earlier lnd can get on the front foot and help people think through what does this like bridge back to the new standard of normal look like it's an interesting one um so I want to end us now, if that's okay, just with one or two tips from each of you. We've covered so much ground and it's been a really interesting conversation. Um, so if it's okay, um, I'm going to go to Adam first for just one or two tips, uh, then to Alice and then to Danny. So Adam, over to you. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, this, we are never going to see disruption like this ever again. Uh, well, I hope not anyway. So, but I think that you know, utilize this opportunity and look at all of the practices and the way that you do L&D now and work out what needs changing, you know, like, and get inspired by the modern way of L&D. Because I think that if you're just churning out what you've done before, uh, post COVID, then I think that you need to take a look at a yourself, the company you work for, and, you know, work out how do I really serve people now? Not just in this modern workforce, but also in this kind of age of disruption, this new normal, I guess. So I just, I want to just like have a, you know, shout out to anyone in L&D just to seize this moment and seize this opportunity. But ultimately my take, my biggest tip that I feel like is my mantra in, in a lot of these discussions, podcasts, conference conversations, whatever it might be, is do it where the work happens. You know, training courses take people away from work. E-learning modules take people away from work. How can you help people in work and in workflow so they don't have to stop what they're doing? You're helping, supporting them and guiding them while they're on that journey. And that's really important. And I think that, you know, I extend this invitation to anyone if you are listening to this, if, you know, reach out to me, Danny or Alice to kind of like help people on that journey because I was definitely in that place before where I wasn't sure of how to break free of this kind of classroom thing but once you start to experiment with different approaches and then you see you're actually making value through outside of the classroom um then i think that you can be on to something but it's definitely a journey to to take so um that would be my overall top tip wicked thank you alice uh so the first one for me i think is learn to be reactive um learn how to prioritize based on the challenges that you're faced with right now um, and make sure that you know you're supporting the business in the right way and focusing on the right things that are really driving the business forward um, and then secondly i would say for right now get your channels open so speak to people in the business um, get other people like engaged not just your learners but speak to people in the other teams and tell them about what you're doing and get them on board and um, because they can help you to build content and if you've got like kind of the your first followers on um on board with you you can really start to drive change so start doing that now start speaking to people in the business get the dialogue going with your learners um and and just start getting yourself out there cool and last but no means least uh danny over to you Cheers. Um, so I think kind of echoes are similar to these two guys, really. Get people obsessed, understand what really matters to them and start figuring that out and designing for that. I think now's the time to start creating new journeys and new experiences. So understand what that looks like, the touch points within that. And understand we're a service to our people as much as we are to the business, right? And I guess my, my one key thing which I predict is going to be happening quite quick is we need to be arming our managers with difficult conversations because I think it's going to be hard when people return to work and people are going to go to the managers and go, why can't I work from home? And it's going to be hard for managers to turn around and say, um, because you can't. Like, we all know we can do that now. So I think there's, there's a piece there around arming managers with empathy and, and, and listening and, and, and kind of, yeah, getting ready to have them difficult conversations. Wicked. Um, thank you ever so much. I really appreciate it.